30 years ago, the world was a much different place. The Internet hadn't taken off, never mind the iPhone. And the media actually used to practice something called journalism. Now everything's stored online and privacy is quickly being replaced by a surveillance state. And nobody seems to notice or maybe it's we don't care. Even worse, many in the media are happy to cheer it on as long as it helps them score political points. Today's guest knows a good deal about these problems, our privacy and our media. He's written stories for some of the biggest names in American journalism, Esquire, Spectator, The New Republic, Politico, GQ, The New York Times. However, today, it would take an absolute Moses-style miracle for any of those organizations to ever print anything, any of his work again. And that's because they've chosen political sides, whether they admit it or not. As for privacy, between the government snooping on him and then social media, he can't even go to a fly fishing store in Montana without somebody heckling him. Roving gangs have gathered at his house, knocked on his front door. At one point, it got so bad that he had to leave Washington, D.C., where he had lived for years. And to top it all off, our own government may be spying on him right now. And I say may, giving them, oh my gosh, far too much credit. He's been called every dirty name in the book, and as we'll discuss today, the corporate media is still trying to destroy him, yet he keeps on going. He's got a new book out with Simon & Schuster, who hate him. The book is called The Long Slide, 30 Years in American Journalism. It's a reflection on his journalistic work over the last three decades, but also a look at what the media used to allow, used to admire, used to encourage and how much things have truly changed. Today on the Glenn Beck Podcast, Tucker Carlson. There has never been a better time to have uh, a healthy and sweet tooth at the same time. Uh, I don't really have... My teeth are healthy, but they don't want healthy food. Nothing in my wants healthy food. I just have a sweet tooth. And Built Bar has come along to revolutionize the protein bar industry. That's because they understand one simple truth. Flavor has to come first. People want a candy bar. They don't want something healthy. They want something healthy, but they'd rather have it taste like a candy bar. I just want a candy bar, but they're awful for you. These built bars are amazing. They have 17 to 18 grams of protein, 100 180 calories or less, and they only have four to five grams of sugar, four to five net carbs each bar. They taste really good, and they're made with real chocolate. That's why the German chocolate, you know, cakes taste like German chocolate, salted caramel, coconut, mint brownie. It's an unbelievable selection. Nine different flavors, and they'll throw in an additional one that they're working on from time to time. I want you to try them. Use the promo code BEC15, and you're going to save 15% off your first order. Promo code BEC15 at built.com. Hey, Tucker. Hey, Glenn Beck, thanks for having me. <laughs> you, you're welcome. I'm sitting here looking at you in your cabin, uh, and you have Roosevelt dead behind you. In my, <laughs> in my office, I have Wilson dead. Now, <laughs> I have it as a uh, celebratory uh, item. Why do you have Roosevelt dead on your wall? 
Because my godfather ran a newspaper, his family ran a newspaper in New York called the New York Journal American, one of the Hearst papers, and uh, mm. and that was hanging on the wall in the newsroom when they closed in the mid-60s, and so mm. we got, uh, we have a ton of those, uh. and I'm in Maine, I'm at our house in Maine where we've been all of our lives, and it's just filled with just, ju- you know, junk the family has collected, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I actually cool. had that hanging in my bedroom as a child. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Roosevelt. My my father hated Roosevelt. I don't hate Roosevelt at all. Woodrow Wilson was a loathsome person. Oh yeah, in he my was view. bad. He was bad. I don't like um, uh, Roosevelt. I don't like some of the things he did. But Wilson is in a separate category. Yeah, um, I totally agree. Yeah, I completely. Agree. So your uh, you, you said your grandfather ran the paper for Hearst. My godfather. Your godfather. Okay, so yeah, y- you must. I mean, you grew up knowing with Hearst, you saw the manipulation of of uh, newspapers, et cetera. You knew what it could be, at least, I'm assuming, with that kind of heritage. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. My dad was a journalist. My great grandfather, you know, was the publisher of the Dallas Morning News. Yeah. I mean, wow. I grew up around journalists my whole life. I mean, that's that's the world I grew up in. That's why I went into it. So that's one of the reasons I hate them so much. Uh, it's a personal offense. It's just the worst people have gone into it. Just the w- technocratic, dishonest, careerist, stupid cowards. <laughs> I mean, you're supposed to be brave. That that's the yeah, you know. No. When I was a kid, my my dad worked for ABC News, and he would have his cameraman and the sound guy, and they were always over for dinner in the backyard, smoking cigarettes, <laughs> drinking wine, telling stories about you know women and places they went and stories they did and like this guy punched me in the face and i hit him back i mean they were just like they covered riots they had all covered the watts riots in la i mean they were tough and cool they'd been places done things these people are just like such wuss bags i know i hate them i know i i when i first worked at cnn um i was interviewed by paula zahn uh who as i was doing the interview i'm watching her and i'm realizing it's vacant She's not even thinking yeah. about she's waiting for me to stop uh, to yeah. ask the next exactly. question. You know what I mean? Exactly. Just vacant. And then I saw something worse. I talked about uh, because it was a day that somebody had committed suicide and they were an alcoholic. And I said, my mother was a drug addict and she committed suicide. And all of a sudden she just zeroed in and I could feel from her. I wonder if I can make him cry about this. And she made all of these <laughs> All of these questions that were just try obviously trying to get me to cry. And it, it was I thought this is despicable. They're not really interested and they're only interested in ratings. But I don't think that's it anymore. Totally. They're worse than that. Uh, they're well, they're what they're I mean, they're the Praetorian guard for the ruling class. They've inverted the most basic rule of journalism, which is hold the powerful accountable. And now they're you know, they're all working for some oligarch. Steve Jobs' idiot widow owns the Atlantic. Jeff Bezos owns the New York Times, the Upper West Side of Manhattan. You know, it's just like, rather, the Washington Post, the New York Times is essentially owned by its subscribers who are, you know, like every every nonprofit executive on the Upper West Side. I mean, it's just they're trying to protect what they feel is slipping away which is their control over the country. And the thing they hate most, of course, is democracy. I mean, they, they, the idea of voters, the white working class having mm-hmm. power, like completely freaks them out. I mean, completely. 
And they, they journalists are, ought to be calling that out. They are the Woodrow Wilson dream that the yeah. elites will rule and everybody else is just cattle and just go do what cattle do. You know what I mean? And we'll just keep you in little pens. But they're not even good at it. I mean, if they were good, if they were improving people's lives, if they were, I mean, during the progressive, I mean, you always have a ruling class because people are hierarchical. Yeah. You know, dogs are hierarchical. And during previous moments in American history, you had rich people running everything. That was true during the progressive era. Teddy Roosevelt was from, mm -hmm. you know, my world. I have a mm -hmm. picture of him to my grandfather over my sink. You know, he was from a very specific, he was from the ruling class. And he spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, how to, how do we make people's lives better? How do we right. make the streets cleaner, the parks prettier? How do we improve the schools? How do we lower the crime rate? How do we raise wages? And, and that's what noblesse oblige is. It's people who are privileged looking downward and saying to themselves, I have an obligation to you. And I would be happy to live under that system. I don't mind being you know, ordered around by people who are more impressive than I am, who have my welfare. Do you know what I mean? At heart, these people are just pure parasites just trying to take what they can from yeah. America and go to St. Bart's. It's like disgusting. So I hate them. That's the one thing that, you know, um, I think you and I disagree on, and I, I don't know how much we disagree on it. Um, I believe in the the pure freedom of the individual. And you know what? Yes. You know, you don't... You, I don't need to put a sign on the lawnmower. Don't use on roof as a snowblower. I think <laughs> if if you fall off the roof and you're, you know, uh, you know, just chipped by the lawnmower, that's natural selection. That's fine with me. You know what I mean? I agree. Um, but you just said a minute ago, you know, I don't mind being told, you know, what to do by people who are more impressive. What do you mean by that? I, I mean, I don't have a problem with the idea of experts, and I agree with you completely. Let people do what they want to the extent that you can. But what I'm saying is I don't have a problem with the idea, the platonic ideal of expertise or of yeah, no, rulers right. or of a ruling class. I don't think, you know, we're all equal in ability. I want a heart surgeon to do my cardiac Correct. surgery. Correct. Yeah, I, okay. I do. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with that. I'm not. I'm not like a classic populist at all. I'm just incredibly angry at the dereliction of duty that I see among our ruling class. Like they don't feel an obligation to the people beneath them. And that enrages me. They don't tip. They don't love the people of the country. They hate them. And whenever you have, I mean, this is like true for everything. It's true for the military. It's true for your family. If you hated your children, They'd be like unbelievably screwed up. They'd be mm -hmm. in prison. If you hated your troops, they'd all die. Like mm -hmm. you have to love the people you're in charge of and they don't. And that that's like that's it right there for me. And, well, I mean, you know, if you listen to George Washington, that, that you're never going to get that love from people who are in power and government's not meant right? to love you. But I, I agree that experts. The problem is, is that these experts will say something. Let's take covid. They've been wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong over and over and over again. And we know that Fauci is lying about his role in in um, uh, the uh, the the covid virus or at least the virus that preceded it. Um, right. Uh, and and yet we are forced to listen to that expert. We have other experts telling us that you exactly. have to listen to that expert. Well, no, I 
I'm sorry, but I've got a gut on me, too, and I don't believe them. I don't believe them. Something's wrong. I I couldn't agree more. At some point, though, when all the experts, all the people in charge turn out to be mediocre and clueless, then you have to ask yourself, is the system working? So these are all products of the system, like Mark Milley is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. He's not impressive. Anthony Fauci is the head you know, COVID responder in the country. He's not impressive. How do these people get to where they are? So then you take three steps back and you think, well, because we, ha- we have created this fake meritocracy with merit badges along the way to the top, none of which correspond to actual expertise. Mm-hmm. Like Fauci is not the most impressive physician we could have running our response to COVID. Mark Milley is clearly not the person who should be running the United States military. So like, Our system is broken. We are not finding in a country of 340 million people the most qualified to do these jobs because we're using irrelevant criteria. Affirmative action, diversity, equity is a a huge part of it. But it's not just that. It's more than that. It's Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Penn. They are not finding the right people and teaching those people the right things. I mean, that's our ruling class is created by higher education. Those are, you you know, our Sandhurst is Princeton, and it's not doing a good job. But don't you think that that comes from um, actually trying to teach the right things in their point of view instead of teaching people how to think? It's not I don't want to be taught what to think. You need to go to uh, an institution of higher learning to show you how to think, how to be able to explore everything and get a balanced view. That's not happening anymore in our universities. Not at all. And, And you ask why? Look, people are like animals. They respond to rewards. If I do this, I get that. And what are we incentivizing? We're incentivizing conformity. That's what Mark Milley and Anthony Fauci have in common. They're conformists. They check in every morning to find out what the party line is. Oh, white rage is the problem. Okay, I'll say that in a congressional hearing. Oh, wear two masks. Okay, that's today's line. I'll say that out loud. People who are independent-minded, who are free thinkers, are being excluded from our system. And you see it all around you. I mean, I have dinner all the time with people who are really smart. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, you know, mm-hmm. kind of genius level people. I mean, you've seen this in your own life. And I'm not, this is not flattery, but you're one of the people who will say something that like other people haven't thought of before. And <laughs> you're totally willing to go out on the, no, I'm not joking. Thank you're willing to go out on the line and be like, actually, I, you know, I think Obama's a racist. And no one had said that before. He is a racist. You're absolutely right. Most, including me, I had not thought of that at the time. You were totally right. You had this weird flash of insight into the guy and you said it. What was the first response of everyone at the top of American society? Crush Glenn Beck. He said something unapproved rather than saying, wait a second, that's kind of, is Obama racist? Like we should think about this for a second. That's a, that's a weird insight. I'd never thought of that before. Mm -hmm. We should incentivize that kind of thinking open-minded thinking we should we should identify the people who are thinking for themselves who are having really interesting and cool thoughts and reward them for it instead we destroy them for it what so you wind up with really mediocre people because people also think you know in 2008 i was or 2007 i was talking about a crash that was coming and it is because i looked at things not through the prism of being taught 
Uh, but just common sense, that doesn't work with that. And you're relying right. on a system right. that I don't think is going to work. So looked at it that way. But I, I had one member of the media who uh, I won't uh, name here um, that uh, is a is an individual that deals with money and, and deals with money issues. And I brought this up and the person afterward argued and argued and argued. And I have respect for this individual. And I, I finished the interview and he wouldn't even look at me. He was so mad at me. And I said, what, what, what do I have it right? If I have it wrong, but please tell me where I have it wrong. He said, <laughs> without looking at me, he said, you don't have it wrong. You're just irresponsible. We have a responsibility <laughs> to not say those things. And I was like, what kind of upside down world is that in journalism? <laughs> It's so per that's such a great story. I'm laughing because it's so perfect. That is that crystallizes everything that's wrong. It's not even a left-right thing. It's do we allow people to tell obvious truths? And the first thing we do with those people is we call them crazy. I have this new rule where whenever I hear someone denounced as crazy, and I don't think anyone's been denounced as crazy as much as you have, <laughs> I pay special attention to what that person says. And by the way, some of them are kind of crazy. Yeah. Totally fine. Yeah. I make a huge effort in our hiring. I want at least one crazy person on staff. I don't, you know, he doesn't have to yeah. have access to firearms, <laughs> but that person <laughs> needs to be in our orbit yeah. because- that person is much more likely than the rest of us who are, you know, fighting the herd instinct right. to see things really clearly. He's going to be like, well, wait a second. This doesn't, you know, if my housekeeper is buying condos in Vegas on credit, maybe the housing market is too distorted. Maybe this could wreck the U.S. economy. Just like, uh, you know, obvious things right. like that. Right. And nobody else is going to. So it, it, Last thing I'll say, but if you, I was a Russian studies major, I'm interested in Soviet history. One of the things the Soviets did under Stalin and continue to do all the way through, you know, all the way through till 1991 is they would forcibly incarcerate people in mental institutions yes. and one, rather than just sending them to the gulag, mm -hmm. but they would publicly denounce them as crazy. Oh, I'm sorry. Glenn Beck, you know, is mentally unstable. So for his own good, we had to pump him full of Thorazine and right. stick him in a, in a cell. That was a way, and they did it to people who were free thinkers. I feel like, I'm not saying anyone's getting thrown into the gulag, but that impulse is on display in our society. Wow, you said something unapproved. You must be crazy. Really? Why don't you assess what I said? Is it true? Right. Like, we have to care about Correct. whether things are true or not. That's, that's, the, that's the acid right. test. I can't believe we live in a world where I actually not only have to talk about body armor, but talk about the body armor that I bought for my kids and my grandkids. Um, my wife and I have had body armor for a while because my job kind of demanded it. Um, we're supposed to be worried about keeping food on the table and gas in the car and a 72-hour grab bag if we're really crazy. Now body armor? This is the world we live in now. You want to keep your family safe and secure during troubled times? You might not know it, but body armor is legal in all 50 states. It has never been this affordable. It's easy to purchase. And the people I bought the body armor for my kids and my grandkids is AR-500. AR-500 armor. They have made body armor um, easy to buy, approachable, affordable. 
And if you're unsure of what type of armor you might be needing or you just need some pointers based on your needs, they have you covered. Don't wait until it's too late. Make sure your family is protected. Go to ar500armor.com slash Beck. ar500armor.com slash Beck. I just read on the air today uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's um, essay from 1974, I think, right before he was arrested and then uh, yep. exported. Um, and I don't know the last time you read that essay, but Tucker, you should read it. It is like it was written today for the United yeah. States of America. It, it's yeah. incredible about I read it. Yeah. I mean, it's, and the sad thing was, you know, he lived out his days in Vermont and, and he was weird. I mean, of course, anyone that deep is going to be weird. And, and the Russians are, are weird and dark anyway and kind of solitary. Tolstoy was the same. Dostoevsky was the same. And they're all kind of it's in the character. But how could he have been living in Putney or wherever he was? He was like driving distance from where I live why wasn't he like a national hero? Why didn't we, you know, why wasn't he more famous? He was kind of forgotten at the end. And I really think looking back, the United States missed a huge opportunity with the fall of the Soviet Union to rethink what the country is about, uh, to sort of rededicate ourselves to our most, you know, essential values. Yes. And someone like Solzhenitsyn at that moment, because it's always when you win that you're at your most vulnerable, mm -hmm. you know, getting hit in the face actually tends to make you better. Mm -hmm. The early church, Christian church, when it was persecuted was at its sort of clearest and most faithful and probably closest to what it should have been. Mm -hmm. And as it succeeded and took over Europe and became the largest landowner, of course, it became decadent. We had a reformation as a result of mm -hmm. that. I do think it's when you win that you fall apart. And winning the Cold War, in retrospect, may have been like the worst thing that ever happened to the United States. I think so, too. Um, but that also goes to something that, you know, for conservatives, um, we never had to defend and we always just thought everybody was with us. You know, we always thought yes, that exactly. we all believed the same <laughs> things about America. We didn't. Yeah. Um, and now I can tell you that most conservatives who are at all thinkers, we can run circles around the left because oh, yeah. we're constantly thrown up against the wall and challenged. Oh, yeah. And, you know. You can't be called a racist fascist for very long before you go, well, what is it that I'm saying? Is there something that I am saying or that I do believe right. that is that that's way? Right. And that's, that's totally good and right. healthy. I couldn't agree with you more. The upside of this moment, which is the, you know, obviously the darkest since the Civil War, I would I would say I think it's pretty clearly it pretty clearly is. The upside of it is people are traipsing up to the mental attic and discarding things they don't need and really taking stock, taking inventory. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? It's it's really made most people weaker, but a small number of people much stronger and more purposeful and sharper and more decent. The number of conversations I've had about God recently, I mean, oh, yeah. it's a little bit, I mean, you're publicly identified as religious, but I mean, I'm an Episcopalian. I live in a totally secular world I never talk to people about God at dinner. You know, the last five dinners I've had in my barn, the conversation has gone toward God because people are really thinking about, mm -hmm. you know, what comes after this. And that's a great thing. We should be thinking about that every yeah. day. We all die. Like, what happens then? Right. I mean, why isn't this a national conversation? Right, you know? right. And well, it, you know, it was during our founding. 
It, it was. That's what yeah. that's what kind of stuff that people talked about. You know, uh, Franklin swore off unserious people around 19 uh, around 1774, 75, because he said the times don't call for bon vivants. They the, it, it yes. we have to have serious conversations. And he kind yes. of switched his path. And I think America is doing that uh, maybe perhaps without even recognizing it. Yeah, I, here's my fear, and I, I think this every single day, is that people are going to get really radical. Democracy yes. is the safety relief valve. You know, don't storm the Bastille. Don't burn the mm-hmm. federal building. You can vote and you can change this. If you convince people that their votes don't matter, they have no recourse and yes. they become radical. Yeah. If you tell people that every, you know, that racial identity is the most important thing about you identity politics demand that all of us identify by race this is a majority white country you're going to get massive white identity politics i, I don't want to i really don't want to live in that country well i i tell you I just don't it's i, and, I don't think any, that. honestly i don't think even most democrats uh want that and i'm not talking about party people i'm talking about the my neighbors who are democrats yes i don't think they want that either but everything's been so politicized. But you couldn't you can't tell me that this is designed to help our country. There's no way no. because everything you talk to any psychologist, psychiatrist, anyone who studies humans and they all know you're pushing all of the buttons to make people swing out. That's what they want, unfortunately. It's totally true. I mean, when you tell people, oh, by the way, you know, we're, we're withdrawing from Afghanistan, but the war's not over. The war is here and it's against white supremacy or people who don't want mandatory vaccination. And DHS, by the way, is leading the charge to, you know, hunt mm-hmm. down the you know fifth column within. And, and you're now the Taliban. And which they're saying out loud, you're the Taliban. Really? So what does that mean? You're going to bomb my Tora Bora? You know, mm-hmm. you are going to create Tim McVeigh's like I'm the least paranoid person I know. I'm from Southern California. I always think everyone likes me. I think it's going to be great. You know what I mean? I just mm-hmm. have that temperament. It's inborn. And I'm starting to feel a little bit paranoid. I know they're reading my text, for example. It's what's making me a little paranoid. What if you're already paranoid and you didn't have you know, a wife and four kids and four dogs like I do. And you weren't kind of vested in the society. You had nothing to lose. And you turn on the TV and Joanne Reed is calling you a white supremacist and calling on DHS to hunt you down. Why wouldn't that push you over the edge? I'm serious. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't it? It would. And by the way, you can't get a job because of your skin color. What? Your kids can't get work because of the way they look. You are making people really radical. And at some point, some crazy person is going to do something awful that will be used as a pretext to really clamp down. I mean, you can see where this is going. It's very obvious. And I'm, I fear that. I don't want that. I don't want to. I, I, I don't want open violence. I know. You know? I, I fear that as well. I've, I've started uh, talking again about Martin Luther King and the, his rules of nonviolence, um, you know, just to make sure that we're doing everything we can to stop it. But I mean, I, I'm a fiction writer. So let me write some fiction on top of that. Take that same person that you were talking about. Now, take a government that is colluding with social media and a a nefarious guy, again, fiction writing, who wants somebody to do something. All you have to do is change the algorithm 
to keep feeding him more and more and you can create your own killer it's that's totally right i mean i've never believed in any conspiracy theory i Mm -hmm. of any kind right whatsoever and now everybody i know left and right looks first to some kind of plot behind everything why why? do we pull out of afghanistan this way Right. Well, because clearly there are conspiracies, and I don't mean like elaborate Illuminati-type yeah, yeah. conspiracies, but like Biden isn't capable of running the country. Are you? Jo- it's too cynical. Like you, you push a senile guy on the country, you change the way we vote, you accelerate the craziness the second he wins. I'm going to be the unity candidate. The second he wins, they're like, no, they're intentionally dividing the country against itself. People, this vaccine mandate stuff is, there's no health justification for this. It is dividing families and ending friendships. It is clear, so obviously, an effort to divide people against each other. So you look at this and you're like, what the hell is going on? Why would the U.S. government want Americans to hate each other? And it it changes the way you think about everything. Mm -hmm. You don't take anything at face value because you can't because they never stop lying. Right. So after a while it changes the mindset of the entire population and there's no trust whatsoever. Nobody trusts anybody anymore. And there's just a really dark way of looking at the world. That is the pre that is the kind of breeding ground of like actual civil. Conflict. Oh, so, I mean, I, I mean, I really did my homework on civil war and revolutions and that is yeah. exactly how they start. That's exactly how they yes. start. And what's really frightening for me on the right is if you look at Donald Trump, he was not a he was not the problem. He was a symptom of the problem. People exactly. people could not take it anymore that they weren't being listened to, that, that, that the people exactly. would go in and not do what they say. So he's destroyed and they become more radical. The left becomes more radical. That leaves people in a position of saying, well, if he couldn't get the job done, if he couldn't stop them, then we need somebody really tough to stop them. And this just keeps jacked up over and over and over again until you have a country that none of us want to live in. Well, and that's unfortunately it's happening. I mean, you I don't think any of us understood the degree to which all of our systems were essentially voluntary. So two weeks ago, the administration decides to re-up the moratorium on rent collection, on eviction. Mm -hmm. And they say you can't evict someone from your property because that person doesn't pay you. So this is, you know, you're you're avoiding property rights. What does the Supreme Court have to say about this? So the Supreme Court says, well, you you can't do this. The Congress has to vote on it. You can't just do this by fiat. It's not an executive. You can't do it in an executive order. It's a democracy. Someone has to vote on it. So Maxine Waters is asked, and she's like, okay, the Supreme Court doesn't like it. What are they going to do about it? Nothing. A bunch of old judges, what, they have guns? I don't think so. Just ignore them. And the Biden administration did that. And they got away with it, because who's going to stop them? Once people start thinking like that, you know, we're importing 2 million people from foreign countries. We don't even know their identities, but we're just getting them in and flying them to your neighborhood because we want to change the, you know, the electoral balance in the country. They're doing that. No one's stopping them. So once people start to realize that, oh, wait, I don't need to obey. Why am I paying my taxes? Honestly, like, why am I participating in this? There aren't enough cops to arrest me. I can do, I mean, you you can see that anarchy Mm -hmm. is a lot closer than we think it is. Once 
the veil drops and, you know, might makes right and the guy with the most power or the most ammunition gets to do exactly what he wants, then everybody feels that way. And it's, it, it's uh, I don't know, I, I think we're understating what they're destroying right now. I, I really think it's going to be very hard to put civil society back together after the Biden administration. Do you worry about um, your future? Never. Never. I never even think that. Okay. Ever. Not you one, wor- you never. worry about your job being able to do what never. you do? I never think that. No, because I'm 52. My last child went to college yesterday. I, I'm not rich. I don't have a mortgage. I paid off the mortgage. I don't have any credit card debt. So and I've, I, I'm not asking anyone who knows me. I'm the least ostentatious liver you've ever, you know, I I fly Southwest. I, I I just don't have a lot of economic needs. Just I'm being as honest as I can be. So I don't really care about that. I love my job, but I can't control it. I work for a family, um, the Murdoch family, that has been totally consistent mm. and very serious about protecting free speech. I, I have no idea if they agree with what I say. I, I doubt it sometimes, but I don't know. Mm. What I know is they're not going to be bullied into taking me off the air. So I'm so grateful for that. It's the thing that I'm most grateful for in my professional life. On the other hand, God knows where the world is going. So yeah. I can't I can't worry you. about it. I feel like it, I feel like at this point I fell into this job. I didn't earn it. Bill O'Reilly left. I got the job. And that was basically an accident or it was through the kindness of Rupert Murdoch. And I found myself in this position at a certain time of life where I can say what I really think is true, and I plan to until they take me off the air. And then, you know, God knows. I I really admire you, Tucker. You know, you and I have not always agreed on things, but I have to tell you, um, you are one of the only people in the media on, you know, traditional corporate media that is telling the truth. It's so well-researched, so well-done, and I know I've been in your position. I know what it takes. They don't pay people like us a lot of money because we're so talented. It's because right. you, you you give up an awful lot. And in today's world, you I know what you're going through. And I really admire you. I think you're one of the bravest men in America today. Well, luckily, it, it not. I mean, I happen to li- so I live in the woods, obviously, and mm-hmm. I like that. That's I love nature and I like living in the woods. Mm. And so that kind of suits me. I, I have a, I've always had a happy marriage. I was been married 30 years last week. Good and so I, I love my wife and my dogs and my kids. I'm just kind of happy. So I don't, I just feel like it was a, it was a, it was an accident that I wound up here. It doesn't bother me that the Atlantic magazine doesn't like me. I don't read it. I don't care yeah. what they think. Yeah. You know, I have so little respect for them that their opinions are irrelevant to me. And as long as my wife and our producers and my friends and my children and my dogs still like me, then I'm, I'm happy. And I think they do. With each passing day, it's obvious that the party who usurped power is falling apart. The problem is they're taking the entire country and world with them. That's why I expect maybe possibly some shortages, you know, of a few things, maybe food. I'm just saying mega drought. It's a big threat. Uh, and threat of more lockdowns, inflation, instability all around the world. The food supply chain is very fragile, always, but even more so now. When that happens, it won't be long before food disappears from grocery stores. 
God forbid that ever happens. But if it does, what do you do? That's why you need a bare minimum of a four-week food supply of emergency food from My Patriot Supply. They're the largest Patriot preparedness company, um, and they've been in the business for a long time. I love these guys. Millions of families rely on them for food that stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. And they have a four-week food kit. It gives you a wide variety of hearty meals, totaling 2,000 calories every single day. Right now, you can save 25% off each four-week food kit you order. So go to preparewithbeck.com. Claim the offer, save 25%, the four-week food kit. Preparewithbeck.com. Let me go through a couple of things. Um, I want to understand your take on Afghanistan. Uh, People are calling you a fascist and you hate immigration and blah, 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 blah. Um, I are they really we I'm are, not on Twitter. So yeah, I yeah. Didn't know that. we are. Um, I think we're on the same page, but I could be wrong because it appears as though we're polar opposites. Um, I don't want a bunch of people. I, I want people who um, want to be an American and know what that means. I think the more the merrier of those people who are coming here because they don't have the ability to do what you can only do in America and wants to play by the constitutional rules. We have most Americans don't want to do that now. They can make us stronger. Um, But I don't want open borders. And from Afghanistan, the way this is looking, we're just who's on that plane. I don't even know who's on that plane. And I don't think we know who's on that plane. That's right. Was that your point on Monday? Of course, it'll be my point tonight. We're leading with it again. I mean, I I think of, look, if you're running America, you need to think of it like your house. Okay, you're always willing to have house guests and get them a drink and do what you know, you want to be hospitable. And, and, you know, that's the that's the flavor of life, like having people we have house guests constantly, we never don't have house guests in my house. So I'm all for that. But you don't take everyone anyone off the street like you really care because your kids live there too right (laughs) you know what i mean right yeah so ultimately their welfare is the most important thing so i'm not going to invite a child molester to my house because i have four children right and so you need to approach this with maximum care as if you actually gave a crap about your house and the people who live there that's it and so i feel like right now in american you know this country's too divided our society is too volatile. I, I feel like things are falling apart. I don't think that's an overstatement. I try not to say things that are you know, inflammatory for their own sake. I do feel like things are falling apart. Look around. And one of the reasons they are is because Americans haven't decided what unites us. Mm-hmm. What do all Americans have in common? It's not a language. It's not a religion. It's not a skin color. It's not a shared history. Used our so unum, what is it? Our unum used to be the Bill of Rights, and it's not anymore. Right. Exactly. So until we can decide corporately together what it is that holds us together, we can't have a single more person, another person move here. I I don't think I think we need to just like stop and say, okay, totally happy to have the best people in the world move here. But we need to figure out what it is that unites us because countries don't hang together just because Mm -hmm. it's a physics principle. Mm -hmm. I mean, centrifugal force is real and a continental country will spin apart into its component elements. We have 50 states. Why wouldn't they become countries? Why wouldn't you have a series of wars? I mean, you could see this really Mm -hmm. going wrong. And so 
we need to decide on that. And we need to, that, that's a matter, that's an urgent priority. I think it's the urgent priority. And endless waves of new people is a terrible idea. And it's our fault. It's not theirs. Okay, so I, 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 I started. Because we don't tell them. People come to the country. Right. Ilhan Omar is rescued from a refugee camp in Kenya. Yeah. And she comes here and we don't convince her that this is a good country. We tell her it's Correct. a terrible country. Correct. So it's our fault. We're, right. we're not good at assimilating immigrants anymore. So um, in 2016, I started something called the Nazarene Fund <clears throat> that went for the persecuted Christians and Yazidis in Syria and yes. Iraq and moving them mainly to Australia. And they have Australia is really good at assimilation. Uh, you have yes. to speak the language, everything else. But they've been really good. Um, this uh, on Monday, I called the head of the fund and I said, how can we help? I mean, because, you know, there are Christians there. How do we help? Mm-hmm. Um, we I'm trying to raise 20 million dollars uh, in the next two days um, to be able to get these people out. We have three to five thousand Christians that are verifiable Christians because that was put on their paperwork. Their paperwork, if you, you know, papers, please, our our sanctioned government somehow or another allowed that to happen beginning in 2009. Uh, And so now these people are the ones who said openly in a very dangerous place, I'm Christian. So they're not coming to the United States, but they are going to a country that will accept Christians uh, and people from Afghanistan do you have a problem with that? Well, I'm totally for that. I mean, one of one of the reasons that I've always been willing to defend Assad, who clearly is a bad guy in a lot of ways, is that the Assad family created a refuge for Christians in Syria. That's just mm-hmm. true. And Christians throughout that whole region, I am Christian, so I don't mm-hmm. think it's weird for me to be interested in the plight of Christians around the world. It's right. considered like I know moral or something. I don't I don't care. I but I, I'm I'm for helping the Christians because I am Christian. And this is a majority Christian country. It began that way. It's part of who we are. It triggers the hell out of them when you say that. But again, I don't care. That's just true. And so, yes, the Obama administration, by the way, excluded Christians I know that. from Syria. I know that. On purpose. I know. And nobody said anything about it. And I mean, don't even get me going, but like, where are our church leaders? Where where are Christian ministers on this? They said nothing. Um, and they should have to live with that, in my opinion. But anyway, um, no, I'm, look, I'm totally for that. But I just, my first concern is the United States. And I mean, housing prices are so out of control. I'm pretty affluent. Our family's pretty affluent by, you know, national standards, I guess. How are my kids going to buy a house? And they have a lot of advantages, my kids. If you're not my kid and, you you know, your dad is an HVAC guy, like, you're not buying a house. Like, period. And so part of that is a numbers question. A crowded country is more expensive and how, you know, how many people can we take? I don't know. I think that's a completely, no one else is asking that question. So I am like, what's the ideal population? Is it infinite? We have 340 million, probably higher than that, actually. But I don't know, like in the next 10 years, how many people do we want? I, Let's start there. You know, I, 
I don't have a number. I just have a quality that I'm looking for. Somebody that believes that right. we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and governments are instituted among men to protect those rights. That's all I want. That's all I want. Um, let I me, love that. Let me give you something uh, from The Atlantic, because I know you're not reading it. Um, you are, you're called a fascist because of the Hungarian prime minister. Um, the Atlantic writes under the new, now this is, they're describing Hungary. Okay. Try to not think of the United States in this under the new emergency legislation, his far right party can effectively govern unchallenged bypass both parliament and existing laws. It permits people to hand out jail terms for those deemed to be spreading misinformation. Though other countries have imposed their own emergency measures to combat the crisis, Hungary's are by far the most far-reaching and the most permanent. Though the Hungarian government insists these measures will only last as long as the crisis does, the duration uh, is entirely up to the prime minister. You have, you have said Hungary Hilarious. is more free than, than we are in many ways. Um, Much more much more free. And I look, I don't speak Hungarian, just to be clear. And you can't understand a country adequately or really at all until you speak the language, period. So um, and I've learned that from traveling around the world. I've been to many, many countries. And so I'm not here to defend the Hungarian government. Mm -hmm. I can only tell you what I saw, which is you have a country in which the press is much more balanced than here. The majority of the press in Hungary opposes the regime, opposes Viktor Orban's government, the majority, but not 98% on mm -hmm. one side as you have here. Mm -hmm. The opposition doesn't need armed bodyguards. If you criticize the regime in this country with a big platform, and I don't need to tell you this, you need armed bodyguards, period, because I'm trying to hurt you. If you put a poster in your window in a store in downtown New York opposing, I don't know, mandatory vaccines or Black Lives Matter, they'll shut your store down. They'll break your windows. That is not true in Budapest at all. So on the most basic level, there is a lot more freedom there. And by the way, if you want to know how the political system works, Viktor Orban is up in April. He could very likely lose so no one has ever claimed that an election in Hungary was unfair. I mean, there's far more evidence of voter fraud in the United States than there is in Hungary. So I, I don't know what, again, I, I'm, I don't live there. Yeah, Victor and you're Orban not, is not a, it's, it's fair to compare, not without defending, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, of course. I mean, yes. I, don't, you know, I don't work for Viktor Orban. He's not right. a friend of mine. I mean, whatever. It's Hungary. I'm American. Right. Unlike a lot of the people at the Atlantic, I don't have another passport. I'm staying here. I have nowhere to go. I'm riding this puppy wherever it goes. So I am as thoroughly American and as thoroughly stuck here as anyone has ever been. I'm not leaving. So don't give me that crap. I mean, that's it's just so dumb. What's interesting, though, is what a threat the reality of Hungary is. I mean, I would just suggest to your audience, go to Budapest for a week. How many drug addicts do you see living on the sidewalk? Do you feel like you're going to get stabbed riding the subway? No. Is there spray paint everywhere? No. Is there soul-destroying modernist architecture just wrecking the landscape? No. It's like way nicer. Are there all kinds of weird chemicals in the food that castrate men? No. Do you know what I mean? So like, why is that bad? I'm not moving there. I'm staying here. 
but it's not necessary to have all that crap in your society. This is a choice. We don't need rapists wandering around pushing people in front of subway cars. We don't have to live across from a homeless encampment where people are shooting heroin as your kids walk to school. Like we only have that because we allow it. We don't have to. Like we don't we don't have to have crime. There's no crime on the scale that we have in Hungary and it's not about guns. It's just like they don't put up with it. Most societies don't, by the way. So why are we? And that, that's just a really simple question. Why are we putting up with this? Because our leaders want it. You know, that's the mm-hmm. answer. We, we wouldn't have it if they didn't want it. Michael Chertoff said to me years and years ago, this is before social media and everything else. Um, we were talking about something on the air. We got off the air and I said, let me email something to you. And he went, he just smiled and shook his head. He said, oh, I don't have email. And and I said, I don't either, by the way. Yeah. And I said, really? And he said, no, if people knew about email and digital communication, I don't think anyone would have it now. Yeah, I don't think that's true. I don't think I think we've come to a place to where we have convinced ourselves we cannot live or function without it. And that leads us to. All kinds. I remember being on the air 25, 30 years ago saying, I'm not giving my I'm not giving the government my fingerprint. Absolutely not. We give it to Apple gladly. We're we're we have retinal scans so we can get on the airplane faster. It's insane what's happened. You have been hit by the NSA and they've been they unmasked you. We know this for sure. They've admitted that they unmasked you, which is not an easy thing. They would have to have all kinds of reasons for it. Do you actually think, though, that you're going to find out what really happened? Do you think that anything is going to stop? No, of course not. I mean, look, the only way it stops is if the media decide that, you know, we we can't allow this. I mean, there's a principle at stake that we must defend. And, of course, they're not in the business of defending principles. They're in the business of destroying them and acting on behalf of the party in power because that's where they think their you know their future lies that's their advantage so no i mean of course not you'll never find out and i'm you know it as a practical matter i was annoyed because i was trying to get an interview with putin which i thought would be really interesting it'd be very I'm interesting not a putin worker, but why wouldn't you want to interview putin i'm a journalist and you know it completely spooked the russians so now i don't get my interview with putin and you know they were going to use this i mean they leaked it to news organizations that I was trying to set up this interview to make me seem like I was some Russian stooge or whatever. It's just so dumb. I mean, anybody who thinks that Mm -hmm. Russia is the primary threat to America is like an idiot. And I don't care what you think anyway. If you think, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just too stupid for me. I can't deal with it. Obviously, China is the primary threat. Mm -hmm. There's kind of no other way to look at it based on the evidence. And, you know, but you have to ask yourself, why would, again, the U.S. government want to divide the population mm-hmm. against itself, whip up hysteria, mm-hmm. start witch hunts, hurt American citizens? I mean, why aren't we turning that against our enemies? Why are we doing it to our own people? I'm a citizen. I pay taxes. Like, you can't treat me like that, but they can and they will until people decide, no, we're not doing that anymore. Let me let me end here with some uh, questions of just about where we're headed now what what we should be doing first of all the the democrats are pushing everything they can to fix the election um and uh, change the way we vote if that happens 
then it's it's over. Um, but right. uh, if that doesn't happen, where should the Republicans be going? I mean, uh, you know, you have an interesting balance, and I think we have the same feeling. Nationalism is not bad unless it's uh, unless it is uh, you will be an American and it becomes right. fascistic. Um, populism right. isn't bad unless it's just out of control. Um, those those two things aren't bad as long as they're balanced with principles that are, you know, our founding documents. Right. Where is the Republican going and what's the right balance and what should it be concentrating on? I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Nationalism and populism are, are part of the mix. I mean, I, I, I do think like as a foreign policy question, every decision ought to, a top line question ought to be, how does this serve the interests of the United States? Now, we yes. can debate what those are, yep, yep. but that clearly has to be yes. the guiding force behind everything that we do abroad. Does mm-hmm. this help us? And, and we hope that it helps other people in the process because we're generous, open-hearted people, right. but it, it has to, it's the U.S. government. So the U.S. government mm-hmm. has to act on behalf of the population of the United States. Populism is an expression of frustration that reminds us that this is a republic. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a representative government. Mm-hmm. Our, our representatives in Washington ought to be acting on our behalf. And populism is like a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. You, when you ignore it, it gets much more intense, which is what they've done. I think the Republican Party at this stage has a really clear mission, and that's to protect its people. No one else is. Every power center in the country is on one side. You know, this every big corporation, all education, K through, you know, doctorate, it's all on one side. The church, I this kills me to say it, but many churches are also on that side, yep. the leadership. And so really the only power available to people who dissent is probably 45% of the country is this party, the Republican Party. That's it. They are the last men standing. They're the defenders. They have to defend their people because their people have no other means of defense. And if you abandon your people, then your people decide, well, no one's going to defend me. I'm buying a gun. I'm serious. The people will get super radical if they feel cornered and they feel like, you know, I'm under attack and no one's come to save me. Yep. You know, God knows what I'll do at that point. I'm not joking at all. And I've told a million Republican office holders, the problem is that a lot of them are weak. <laughs> and you see this with men. I, I got to say, I can't control myself. It, we, I, I really <laughs> make an effort to highlight brave people because I think this is a moment that demands bravery. Yep. You know, people, the individuals standing up in front of the tank in Tiananmen mm-hmm. Square and saying, no, you're going to have to run me over. Yep. Probably 95% of the people we find and put on the air are women. I had one last night, a nurse in North Carolina. I'm sorry. I'm totally for vaccines. I'm not going to be forced to take one. I'm resigning my job. I'm putting everything on the line. I had her on. And I thought to myself, that's about the 20th woman in a row. And I love them all. And I, they're heroes. However, where are the men? Where are the men? Something has happened to American men. We know sperm counts are, are the lowest ever recorded. We know testosterone is the lowest ever recorded. We know that it's falling. What, that has massive consequences. What the hell? NIH is funding precisely zero studies on this. What? 
we're not going to be able to continue the species, but that's not a subject of concern or interest to you? What? What the hell is going on? But you see it in their behavior. So someone like Ben Sass, who I consider really smart and thoughtful and a decent person, I'm sure mm-hmm. he's a good dad and whatever. It, I think the same of Mitt Romney, actually. Mitt Romney's kids seem to like him. I disagree with Mitt Romney, but I think Mitt Romney's like not a bad guy at mm-hmm. all. I mean, mm-hmm. if he was, I'd let him babysit my children. I, yeah. I'm being serious. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of them like this. Roger Wicker of Mississippi, I think he's probably a good guy. They're weak. There's something in them that's weak, and they've decided, I'm not, you know, uh, the other side is ascendant, the left is winning, I'm not going to push any buttons that, you know, might infuriate them. They're just, they're not, they're not lion-hearted. And this is a moment when you need people who aren't, you know, vicious, lashing out, crazy, that I hate that, but who are legitimately strong, who will say, here are my principles, I will clearly articulate them for you, and by the way, I'll die for them. Because that's what principles are, you know, real principles, not BS, you know, this is the tax rate I want. But like people should be allowed to say what they really believe. That's called freedom of speech is guaranteed in the First Amendment to the Bill of Rights. That's a non-negotiable point, period. Someone who will do that. And they're like none of them. The only ones who will do it are women. And that has a lot of consequences. For one thing, it drives the women crazy. But a lot of really angry women right now, have you noticed? <laughs> and I think a lot of them are angry because their men are weak. I, I do think that. I mean, I don't think that. I know that. And I've been married to the same woman for 30 years. And the, if you want to make her mad, you know, weak men, and this is true for a lot of, I have three daughters. I see this. I see this all the time. Weak men make them mad because it's, it's wrong. And it, it, this is like basic and human. You know, all the true basic human things are the, one, are the things we're not allowed to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. We can like, talk <laughs> right. about our dumb theories, but the way that right. people really are, nature, nature itself is so offensive to our leaders because it challenges their totally unnatural program. There's nothing less natural than neoliberalism. It's an mm-hmm. assault on nature. It's a denial of nature. Yep. But at its core, nature is about sex differences. Men and women are different. Does and stags are different. Their difference is the central fact of the natural world. And if something falls out of balance in that relationship between male and female, everything else is affected by it. Everything. And so at the core of the volatility and the craziness and the, and the too rapid to digest change that's going on, is this weird lack of balance between men and women. And I think it's physiological. I don't think this is not just a cultural phenomenon. You know, the massive increase in trans-identifying kids, it's not just a result of propaganda from the schools. And that's part of it. But it's, it's bigger than that. This has never happened in human history. In all human history, this has never happened. So that's a red flag right there. What the hell is this? Now, you could be totally for it. Or you can be totally opposed. It doesn't even matter how you feel about it. As a phenomenon, it's worth studying what is going on. And it's the one thing that nobody mentions. And I I just have noticed this. I mean, just like empirically, just around me, I'm hardly a genius and I'm not a scientist, but this is so obvious. You'd have to be a liar to ignore it. And we should not ignore it. What is your theory that that is causing it? You know, I don't I don't even have an operative theory on it. I mean, I you know, everyone you ask who's thought about it says, well, I think there are plastics in the food, clearly, uh, you know, and I have no idea. I can't I, I'm, I don't have the tools to uh, to assess that. 
Um, clearly, our food is garbage. I mean, there's no question about that. Mm. No question. Everyone's down on cigarette smoking. Oh, cigarettes are so bad. Really? Are they worse than wheat thins? I'm not sure they are, actually. <laughs> Man, you process food. I mean, maybe they are. Tell me how. But processed food in this country, and this is not true in all countries, mm-hmm. it's just in Europe, is very, very different. Again, I don't have deep knowledge about this. I'm just... I'm just noticing what is very, very obvious. There's something, and there was just a a remarkable book written about this by a former New York Times reporter who I interviewed who said, yeah, no, our food is so engineered, just like everything else in our world, just like like the iPhone, it's engineered to hook you, so is our food. But over time, it has physiological effects. I remember as a kid on hosting Crossfire in my 20s defending GMOs and like, well, there's nothing wrong with GMOs. I had no freaking idea what a GMO was, but that was like Correct. the right wing position to defend mm-hmm. GMOs. Yep. What do do I work for agribususiness now? Like, <laughs> right. Why the hell was I doing that? <laughs> right. I have no idea because I was a kid. I was an idiot. I was just a shill. I was like a, you know, you could get me to say the things I thought I had to say. Now that I'm older, I still don't know much about GMOs, but I mean, why don't we talk about this? You're, you're engineering food because it's more efficient. Are there physiological effects of that? No human population in history has ever eaten this stuff. Is it good for you? I mean, why don't we have that conversation? Like, so things like food, sex, water, these are the basic things in life. And when they change, everything else changes. I would add and one. Again, I'll just I, last thing I'll say nobody talks about it. I know. We should talk about it. I would add one thing to that list communication. We don't we have done the biggest experiment on humankind and we have all just adopted it, except for the kids of the people that run Silicon Valley. (laughs) Right. And we're just these lab rats. We have no idea. I mean, I think that has done so much damage all around the world. We look at the good things. You know, it kills me. The Taliban used Twitter. To uh, uh, to organize to go into different cities and take them over, but Donald Trump can't. Uh, you know, Twitter Twitter won't help the people in Cuba. It's I mean, we're just being led around by a nose ring. Tucker, it is it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, I loved it. Thank you for having me, Glenn. You bet. Super fun. Yeah. God great bless. To see you. Bye bye. just a reminder i'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people 